0: Section 19. Europe and the Faith. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Europe and the Faith by Hilaire Belloc. Section 19. Chapter 5. What Happened in Britain i have now carried this study through four sections my object in writing it is to show that the roman empire never perished but was only transformed that the catholic church which in its maturity it accepted caused it to survive and was in that origin of europe and has since remained the soul of one western civilization in the first chapter i sketched the nature of the roman empire In the second, the nature of the church within the Roman Empire before that civilization in its maturity accepted the faith. In the third, I attempted to lay before the reader that transformation and material decline. It was also a survival, which has erroneously been called the fall of the Roman Empire. In the fourth, I presented a picture of what society must have seemed to an onlooker just after the crisis of that transformation, and at the entry into what are called the Dark Ages, the beginnings of the modern European nation which have superficially differentiated from the old unity of Rome. I could wish that space had permitted me to describe a hundred other contemporary things which would enable the reader to seize both the magnitude and the significance of the great change from pagan to Christian times. I should in particular have dwelt upon the transformation of the European mind with its increasing gravity its ripening contempt for material things and its resolution upon the ultimate fate of the human soul which it has now firmly concluded to be personally immortal and subject to a conscious destiny this doctrine of personal immortality is the prime mark of the european and stamps his leadership upon the world its original seat long before history begins lay perhaps in ireland later in britain certainly reduced to definition either in britain or in gaul it increasingly influenced greece and even had some influence upon the jews before the romans subdued them but it remained an opinion an idea looming in the dark until it was seen strong and concrete in the full light of the catholic church oddly enough Muhammad who in most things reacted towards weakness of flesh and spirit, adopted this western doctrine fully. It provided his system with its vigor. Everywhere is that doctrine of immortality, the note of superior intelligence and will, especially in its contrast with thin pantheism and negations of Asia. Everywhere does it accompany health and decision. Its only worthy counterpart, Equally European, but rare, uprooted, and private, is the bold affirmation of complete and final death. The transformation of the Roman Empire, then, in the 4th century and the 5th, was eventually its preservation, in peril of full decay, by its acceptation of the faith. To this I might have attached the continued carelessness for the plastic arts, and for much in letters the continued growth in holiness and all that salting as it were which preserved civilization and kept it whole until after the long sequestration of the dark ages it should discover an opportunity for a Bible. my space has not permitted me to describe these things i must turn at once to the last and what is for my readers the chief of the historical problems presented by the beginning of the dark ages That problem is the fate of Britain. The importance of deciding what happened in Britain when the central government of Rome failed does not lie in the fact that an historical conclusion, one way or the other, can affect the truth. European civilization is still one whether men see that unity or no. The Catholic Church is still the soul of it, whether men know it or do not know it. But the problem presented by the fate of Britain at that critical moment when the provinces of the Roman Empire became independent of any common secular control has this practical importance, that those who read it wrongly and who provide their readers with a false solution, as the Protestant German school and their copiers in English, Freeman, Green and the rest have done, those who talk of the coming of the English, the Anglo-Saxon conquest, and the rest, not only furnish arguments against the proper unity of our European story, but also produce a warped attitude in the mind. Such men, as are deceived by false accounts of the fate of Britain at the entry into the Dark Ages, take for granted many other things historically untrue. Their presumptions confuse or conceal much else that is historical truth. For instance, the character of the Normans, and even contemporary and momentous truth before our eyes today for instance the gulf between englishmen and prussians they not only render an englishman ignorant of his own nation and therefore of himself they also render all men ignorant of europe for a knowledge of britain in the period five hundred to seven hundred as in the period fifteen thirty to sixteen thirty is the test of european history And if you are wrong on these two points, you are wrong on the whole. A man who desires to make out that the empire, that is, the European civilization, was conquered by barbarians, cannot today, in the light of modern research, prove his case in Gaul, in Italy, in Spain, or in the valley of the Rhine. The old German thesis of a barbaric conquest upon the continent, possibly when modern history was child, has necessarily been abandoned in its maturity. But that thesis still tries to make out a plausible case when it speaks of Britain, because so much of the record here is lost that there is more room for make-believe, and having made it out, the tale of a German and barbaric England, his false result will powerfully affect modern and immediate conclusions upon our common civilization, upon our institutions, and their nature, and in particular upon the faith and its authority in Europe. For if Britain be something other than England, if what we now know is not original to this island but is of northern German barbarism in race and tradition, if, in the breakdown of the Roman Empire, Britain was the one exceptional province which really did become a separate barbaric thing, cut off at the roots from the rest of civilization, Then those who desire to believe that the institutions of Europe are of no universal effect, that the ancient laws of the empire, as on property and marriage, were local, and in particular that the Reformation was the revolt of a race, and of a strong and conquering race, against the decaying traditions of Rome, have something to stand on. It does not indeed help them to prove that our civilization is bad, or that the faith is untrue. But it permits them to despair of or to despise the unity of Europe, and to regard the present Protestant world as something which is destined to supplant that unity. Such a point of view is wrong, historically, as it is wrong in morals. It will find no basis of military success in the future any more than it has in the past. I wrote and first printed these words in 1912. I leave them standing with greater force in 1920. It must ultimately break down, if ever it should attempt, to put into practice its theory of superiority in barbaric things. But meanwhile, as a self-confident theory, it can do harm indefinitely great by warping a great section of the European mind, bidding it refer its character to imaginary barbaric origins, so divorcing it from the majestic spirit of Western civilization. The North German Teutonic school of false popular history can create its own imagery past and led to such a figment, the authority of antiquity and of lineage. To show how false this modern school of history has been, but also what opportunities it had for advancing its thesis, is the object of what follows. Britain, be it remembered, is today the only part of the Roman world in which a conscious antagonism to the ancient and permanent civilization of Europe exists. The northern Germanies and Scandinavia, which have had since the Reformation a religious agreement with all that is still politically powerful in Britain, lay outside the old civilization. They would not have survived the schism of the sixteenth century had Britain resisted that schism. When we come to deal with the story of Reformation in Britain, we shall see how the strong popular resistance to the Reformation nearly overcame that small wealthy class, which used the religious excitement of an active minority as an engine to obtain material advantage for themselves. But as a fact, in Britain, the popular resistance to the Reformation failed. A violent and almost universal persecution directed in the main by the wealthier classes against the religion of the English populace and the wealth which endowed it, just happened to succeed. In little more than a hundred years, the newly enriched had won the battle. By the year 1600, the faith of the British masses had been stamped out from the highlands to the channel. It is our business to understand that this phenomena, the moral severance of Britain from Europe, was a phenomena of the sixteenth century and not of the fifth, and that Britain was in no way predestined by race or tradition to so lamentable and tragic a loss. Let us state the factors in the problem. The main factor in the problem is that the history of Great Britain from just before the middle of the fifth century, say the years 420 to 445, until the landing of St. Augustine in 597, is a blank. It is of the first importance to the student of the general history in Europe to seize this point. It is true of no other Roman western province, and the truth of it has permitted a vast amount of empty assertion, most of it recent, and nearly all of it as demonstrably as it is obviously created by a religious bias. When there is no proof or record men can imagine almost anything, and the anti-Catholic historians have stretched imagination to the last possible limit in filling this blank, WITH WHATEVER COULD TELL AGAINST THE CONTINUITY OF CIVILIZATION. IT IS THE BUSINESS OF THOSE WHO LOVE HISTORIC TRUTH TO GET RID OF such SPECULATIONS, AS OF SO MUCH RUBBISH, AND TO RESTORE TO THE GENERAL READER THE FEW CERTAIN FACTS UPON WHICH HE CAN SOLIDLY BUILD. LET ME REPEAT THAT, HAD BRITAIN REMAINED TRUE TO THE UNITY OF EUROPE IN THAT UNFORTUNATE OPPRESSION OF THE 16TH CENTURY, WHICH ENDED IN THE LOSS OF THE FAITH, Had the populace stood firm, or been able to succeed in the field and under arms, or to strike terror into their oppressors by an efficient revolt, in other words, had the England of the Tudors remained Catholic, the solution of this ancient problem of the early dark ages would present no immediate advantage, nor perhaps would the problem interest men even academically, England would now be one with Europe as she had been for a thousand years before the uprooting of the reformation but as things are the need for correction is immediate and its success of momentous effect no true historian even though he should most bitterly resent the effect of catholicism upon the european mind can do other than combat what was until quite recently the prevalent teaching with regard to the fate of britain when the central government of the empire decayed I will first deal with the evidence such as it is which has come down to us upon the fate of britain during the 5th and 6th centuries and next consider the conclusions to which such evidence should lead the end of section 19